everybody, and welcome to the Macaw Podcast Universe. It's the podcast where we go through franchises one movie at a time, and today we are beginning our new series. We just finished up The Middle Earth um, and The Hobbits last week, and this week we begin the, uh, what's the tagline? The series that was 65 billion years in the making, Jurassic Park. Is that what you've called it? No, well, that's the tagline of this movie. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, that's which good. is like the best tagline you could possibly come up with. Yeah. And today with us, we're, we are joined by a very special guest. His name is Kyle Woolard, and he is in the band Anatomy of Frank, and he also spearheads the project Glorious Leader. Hello, Kyle. Hello, Micah. Hello, Jordan. Hello. Uh, very excited to have you on here. Um Usually, we like to start this off and just talk about uh, how we came across this movie, like the first time, and and its impression on us. So, you want to hit us up with that, Kyle? Oh boy, do I remember this! I was a wee child. What year was this movie? Nineteen ninety-seven, ninety-three, ninety-three. Okay, that makes sense because yeah, because I would have been about six years old at the time, and I remember my parents coming home and and. Uh, talking about this movie as if it was this movie that was so terrifying, so spectacular, so dark and <laughs> adult that it, I don't, I don't know. I thought it, I figured it would be 20, 30, 40 years before I'd be allowed to see it. Um, <laughs> and you know how it's, it's amplified when there's stuff that like your parents say, Oh, wow, you, you couldn't handle that one, buddy. At that age. Oh, sure. Oh, man. It makes such an impression on you. And I remember just Jurassic yeah. Park, like what a what a name full of ominous, you know, kind of overtones, Jurassic Park. It's um, it's very um like intense, those Jurassic. It's it's so like definite, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and so I don't remember when I first actually saw it, some years later. But, you know, it, it, like all of us, I think it, it was one of those pivotal movies of, you know, I would say not even that decade, but of the maybe two or three decades around it. It was just such a game changer. Yeah. Um, well, I I remember the first time I watched this movie because it holds a very special place in my heart being as it was the first PG-13 movie I ever saw. Ooh. Wow. And I remember specifically, um, I mean, I was thrilled the whole time. It's it's an amazing movie. I love everything about it. There's nothing that I dislike in this movie. Um, but I remember when they go to the scene where Jeff where where they're looking at the Triceratops poop, and Jeff Goldblum says, Now that's a pile of shit. I was like I was like, Hey mom, what does shit mean? What is that? And she's like it means poop, and don't ever say it again. <laughs> <laughs> so also, I hope my mom doesn't listen to this episode, because she'll know I said it again. Oh, Uh-oh. man. Uh-oh. Big Busted. trouble. Um, but yeah, and, and all, all my life, loved this movie. I've never really had much of an attachment to any of the other sequels. I never really... I saw Lost World. I mean, we'll talk about that next week, but I saw that much much later in life, so I just rewatched this over and over and over again. And... um. And I also saw it in 3D when they re-released it. So I oh, have seen cool. it in theaters, which is pretty fun. Oh. Um, uh, but yeah, that's Jurassic Park for me. Uh, I remember it very clearly seeing this movie the first time because it wasn't that long ago. Uh, 
growing up, I always knew about this movie, but I think I just straight up missed it. And so apparently, insane to I know, me. and apparently, like it was, it was always like someone would talk about it. And I would say, "Oh, I've never seen it," and that's when people get mad at you for right. not having seen a movie. <laughs> yeah, and I I'm think a little that, angry right now, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> I think my, I'm assuming my dad just wasn't super into it because he's the one who would show us movies that he really liked which is so weird because this is such a sci-fi movie yeah i don't know He's such a sci-fi guy i don't know why this was like i mean let's not blame it on my dad totally because i don't really know i'm talking to scott tonight okay we need Um, a scapegoat (laughs) (laughs) but I, i saw this when i was in college i was in new hampshire with my roommate and my friend and we watched it on a laptop and the scene with the T-Rex in the rain was so scary to me that I had to pause it. And I was like, oh, I have to go to the bathroom. But I was just like, I needed a moment to breathe. And it was on a laptop and I was that scared. <laughs> <laughs> well, this movie, I think, I, I I don't know. I think people, you know, there's been so many sequels that that, that does, when sequels aren't that good, it does kind of sully the first movie. But when you go back and watch it, I mean, I've seen this movie well over 50 times, and that T-Rex scene, last night when we were watching it, I was like, this it's possible this is the greatest like horror f- scene ever filmed. It's at least up for discussion. Absolutely. You know, that's the whole because thing about this movie. It's a genre bender. It's, it's a, it, it is horror. It's a horror movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And it like, my heart like stops, especially when... He looks into the car and she shines the light and his eyes dilate. Oh. It is, it, it's so scary. But um, let's let's before we get to that scene, let's talk about how this movie was made. So this is directed by the wonderful Steven Spielberg. And if you know anything about me, it's that I absolutely love Steven Spielberg. Steven Spielberg makes movies. He's he makes movies that you want to see in theaters. Yeah, and well, and he made the first blockbuster, which is yes. Jaws. So yes. he he continually, even now, he still makes really great movies. He just has the most illustrious uh, film career. Can I say he is and, he's the John Williams of directors? Whoa, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he has collaborated with him on all but like two movies, yep. which is insane. So, um, I I just I was telling Jordan yesterday I was watching this like hour long making of Jurassic Park. And I I just said, when I watch Steven Spielberg talk about directing and directing, it's like the same feeling I get when I'm uh, <laughs> watching John Mayer play guitar. <laughs> I'm just like so inspired. Yeah. It's like watching an athlete, like the Michael Jordan documentary, The Last Dance. You're like, this guy just is an artist. <laughs> I'm like so in awe of him. Um, But okay, so let's set the scene here. Um, this movie comes out um, off of Stevie, Stevie, <laughs> Steven Spielberg's Hook. So that was the movie he made before this movie came out. Okay. And then um, later this year, so this movie will come out June 11th, 1993, but later this year, Schindler's List is going to come out. Two movies Ooh. in one year? Yeah. Wow. And that's not the first, well, that might be the first time, but he he does that sometimes. He just whips out two movies that's crazy and what's insane is both of those movies like are some of his arguably his best movies yeah same year 1993 um it's produced by kathleen kennedy who we all know she works with steven spielberg all the time and george lucas and she runs the star wars universe right now um 
Also, Gerald R. Molin, who produced Casper, Days of Thunder, um, The Lost World. And then later, I, I don't know if you know about this guy, Kyle, but I, I imagine you would. He goes on to produce um, all of Dinesh D'Souza's movies. Hmm. I don't know about this yet. Oh, well, now he's, I do. <laughs> he's the guy who does these very weird... Um, right-wing like alternate history movies so he has like a movie that's like that's like hillary's america and then like like a movie that like compares trump to lincoln and stuff like that (laughs) wait these are real movies they're like half documentary half like acted movies oh gosh and wow they're uh i mean i haven't seen them but when you look at the footage it actually looks like you're watching like a key and peel sketch that's making fun of like history <laughs> like they're, they're really weird and um i would never watch one wouldn't want to um but that's just weird that he like directs all these like classic movies and then now he like does like right-wing <laughs> movies yeah. propaganda yeah uh the screenplay is by michael Crichton and david coep and uh if you know anything about Jurassic Park you'll know that it's based off of a novel written based by on. based on excuse me a novel written by Michael Crichton and the music is by John Williams and then the cinematography is um Dean Cundy who does a bunch of John Carpenter movies and Zemeckis movies oh cool so really influential guy um distributed by Universal the budget of this movie is 63 million dollars and also, they turned it in early. Mm-hmm. They got this movie done ahead of schedule, which is mind-blowing. Mm-hmm. The movie makes domestically $357 million, and then worldwide, wow. <laughs> it makes $912 million. Wow. Closer to $913 million. Wow. That's, uh, that's a lot. <laughs> and I, I want to mention something that's really insane. So... John Williams did not get nom he like he did not win an Oscar for Jurassic Park because he won an Oscar for Schindler's List. Similarly, Steven Spielberg did not win an Oscar for best directing for this because he won an Oscar for best directing Schindler's List. And this movie also didn't win best picture because Steven Spielberg won best picture for Schindler's was List. Was Jurassic Park nominated for anything though? Uh, it won best visuals, um I think sound editing and sound mixing, I think. But was it nominated for anything else? I think it was just the the like technical awards was oh, okay. all it's nominated for. Which makes for. sense and they should have won for that. Yeah. Based on watching the behind the scenes. But But um, that's imagine crazy. imagine you do anything so good that that year you beat yourself out and you still made two of the most influential movies ever made. I mean, that's like the only thing I can think of is when um the guy who did Roma and Children of Men. I'm oh Alfonso, Alfonso Cuarón oh, yeah. when he was nominated for best foreign and best picture oh and parasite which too. won both which of won them. both yeah it's like cool got your eggs in several baskets good for you <laughs> yeah you know have you seen parasite kyle i have and i i oh yeah i loved it i was actually just doing a back of the napkin calculation and that budget of did you say 63 million yes in today's equivalent terms for inflation that would be 113 million dollars which Whoa. I mean, that's just not that much for the production value of this movie. And I'm telling you guys, like, no. if you haven't sat down and watched Jurassic Park lately, you go back and watch that thing and and look at the scene when they first see the Brontosaurus is out in the out in the field, <laughs> or is it Brachiosaurus? <laughs> that you 
the CGI is not bad. It is pretty good. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. not like Star Wars where they had to go and like redo it because it, you know, it was just laughable. Like this stuff, it was complete CGI and it looks, I mean, it, it looks awesome. It's it's very wild that the movie still holds up. I think I think this was one of the first times that I watched it where I was like, okay, I can definitely like pinpoint some things that could be improved. But yes. I mean, we're talking about almost 30 years and I'm finally able to like see some of the CGI flaws. Yeah. And this is yeah. like one of the f- I mean, the last series we covered on this podcast was Lord of the Rings and we delved into the special effects a lot and how influential especially Gollum, was on all of movie history. But if you go back a little bit further, we're talking about like one of the other milestones today, which is Jurassic Park, because what happened was they're getting ready to make this movie, and Steven Spielberg's sitting down with Stan Winston, who does the animatronics, and um, what was the guy's name? I think Dennis Murin, and then Alan Tibbetts, and they're like, how are we going to do these dinosaurs? And so Alan Tibbetts goes, well, I'm going to do go motion, which is basically um, claymation kind of a thing, but it's a little bit more advanced. Yeah, it's like they mentioned that they, they get in the motion blurs. Yes. Cause, little details like that. Yeah, because when you do go motion, if you don't have the motion blur, then every single frame is in focus and it doesn't look like how a human eye would perceive something. Yeah. Oh. So he does it. And on the on the Blu-ray, at least, you can see, like, the old animatics that they created. Um, and they're really cool, and they mm-hmm. do look awesome. But you, you can tell that there's a disconnect. And, and that's so, when Steven Spielberg was like, it's still just a little off. Yeah. Let's make it harder on everyone and do something on a computer that's probably never been done. Right, and that's when Dennis Murin comes in, and he goes, let me just try some things. And so he does some tests. And you can also see the tests, and uh, if you look those up, you can see the old tests. And Steven Spielberg's like, "Okay, I think he turns to Alan Tibbetts and he says, "I think you're out of a job." And then Alan Tibbetts says, "Don't you mean extinct?" Nice. Which is which is fun. And they also add that a similar dialogue at the beginning of the movie when they're in the visitor center because uh, that's what Jeff Goldblum says to the paleontologists. Well, it's, it's funny because in the behind the scenes, they're like, yeah, someday we're, there are not even going to need people to make movies. You just got to press a button. And it's like, oh, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah. And then also in the movie at the beginning when Sam Neill is looking at that computer and this guy's like, yeah, someday we're not even going to need to dig up the bones because the technology <laughs> right. will show us how everything. And it's like, whoa. <laughs> Well, I mean, and that's one of the, like, huge themes of this movie is, like, nature versus technology. Yeah. And you can also apply that just to, like, the movie-making process. And this movie is such a... I mean, it really rings true. The whole Jeff Goldblum, they they were so busy trying to figure out if they could, they never stopped to say if they should. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you can apply that to the fact that they kept making movies of, of this series that probably shouldn't have been made or like just cgi in general even though you and i have talked about it and we we don't dislike cgi but it's like sometimes things get pushed so much and it's like well maybe we should have actually spent more time to not do that yeah yeah and and take responsibility for it yeah (laughs) and you know i know you got future episodes of this coming up and i don't want to soil them before they see the light of day but yeah i was so when i saw the lost world 
I just felt felt so betrayed. <laughs> you know, it's like it's like this. Oh man, this did not follow it. And then, you know, I was on tour in uh, was it 2015 when one of the Jurassic Park, maybe Jurassic World, came out. The one with Chris Pratt. Yeah, 2015. Yeah. <clears throat> and we watched it. We had a day off in Switzerland, and we laid in this. This person had this this living room that was like this sofa that was the size of the room, so you could lay. It was like a, you know. 40 square foot sofa surface and we all just laid there and watched it on a big screen projector and at the end I got in like a legit argument with my bandmates because I was very bitterly like I was like I don't think this respects the uh the cinema the cinematic masterpiece of the original and my bandmates my bandmates point was basically this they were like um I think that you're given a lot way too much credit to a movie about like dinosaurs chasing people around you know it's like this was a they're basically saying that the original was a shoot 'em up bang bang like action romp which i could oh. not disagree with more i really couldn't. yeah yeah i think this was like a fantastic piece of cinema um it was emotional the characters were fairly well developed um yeah i i just i really dislike that um someone had the idea oh let's make this kind of a you know, just keep milking out. People love dino terror. Like, right. Yeah. The movie is just so philosophical. It is. I, and that's, that's a good, I feel like any good sci-fi should make you like, it should make you think like, oh, this is cool. This is cool. This is cool. But at the same time, like when you walk away, you go, but what are like the moral implications and the philosophical implications of this thing? Mm-hmm. And that to me is good sci-fi. That's what makes me like, because otherwise you're just watching a monster movie, which a monster movie is not bad, but it's a different type of movie. And this movie never really goes into that territory beyond terror. And it, I think it they achieve this so well that it's not bogged down in the details, even though they explain everything. Yeah. But it's like, it all makes sense. Because, you know, a bad sci-fi to me is when they over-explain everything as if they don't think that you're smart enough to maybe understand this made-up world. Right. <laughs> and it's like sometimes by giving us less information, you're giving us more. And I think in a way, like they gave us, they gave us a lot, but it also was just also visual. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So now I'm going to jump back in because uh, Crichton and Spielberg were having discussions about what would become the future show ER, which I did not know was created by Crichton and no. produced Wait, by Wait, like the soap Amblin. opera? Yeah. Like the one with George Clooney Clooney and stuff. Um, And while they were talking, Crichton was saying that he had this idea about this novel about making dinosaurs and like all that stuff. And Spielberg's like, ding, ding, ding. What are you talking about? That sounds cool. (laughs) Because if you know anything about Spielberg, he's always just playing with toys. He's just an adult child. Like that's that's his thing. You know, E.T., Jaws, you see all that stuff. It's a kid just playing all the time. Yeah. Um, And so in 89... uh, Spielberg tries to get some get the rights to it, um, and Crichton demands a non-negotiable $1.5 million fee and a percentage of the gross. And after Hook, um, Steve was all in, but Sid Sheinberg, the president of Universal Parent Company... Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So Steven Spielberg, after he finished Hook, was like, I want to do Schindler's List. And then the president of Universal was like, you can do Schindler's List, but you have to do this other project. 
because I think originally Spielberg had maybe dis- like maybe wanted to direct, but maybe he was just going to produce it. Oh, okay. Um, and so he's like, yeah, I'll do that. And so, um, and he's been sta- quoted as saying that he was trying to kind of, in a way, make a sequel to Jaws, but it's on land. Oh, interesting. Which makes sense <laughs> that he is like taking that mentality of like, let's let's terrify the audience. And remember, we were watching that behind the scenes, and he's like, I want people to be scared, like you see the breath. That's scary. Yeah. And he, and and he had mentioned that old movie, The Lost World, from 1925, and he said as a kid he was thrilled by it. You mean King Kong? It was. It's called the Lost World. Is what he oh, was talking about. Okay. Um. And he said he was thrilled by it, but he was never scared. Yeah. And he wanted to inject that into this movie, and then he was further influenced by King Kong, um, and all those special effects, which is interesting. That Steven Spielberg watched King Kong, saw the crazy special effects, changed cinema history with his team. Peter Jackson sees King Kong, sees the special effects, wants to remake King Kong. And does Lord of the Rings first and changes cinema history. Yeah. So, like, that movie is so influential. I've actually never seen that movie. Have you been at the... Oh, were we there together when we were at Universal? No, I don't think so. But have you done the... the, You know, the... Okay. I did the... Last time I was there, I did the tour. And there was a part where it was King Kong. And it was like... um, It was... You were completely surrounded by the screen Uh in the car. And it was 3D. And at first, you know, I never saw King Kong and I was just like, oh, whatever, this is going to be kind of boring. And it was terrifying because (laughs) the car would move to the things that were going on in the screen. And because it was totally 360, you did feel like you were in the jungle. And I feel like there was a moment when maybe a dinosaur or King Kong got onto the top of your bus thing <laughs> yeah. and you felt it and oh my gosh it was so scary <laughs> well have you both done well i know you have jordan but uh kyle have you done the jurassic park ride in universal you know i've always been more of a disney man um so i think i went disneyland where, is better well disney world we're talking about here oh. sorry okay. sorry everybody <laughs> east coaster <laughs> um no so universal was always kind of like I don't know. I don't know what what I thought of it as a kid. It was like PlayStation to versus Nintendo sixty four. I was a I was an N sixty four guy. I was a Disney World guy. <laughs> so and, and also, you know, I had no say in it. My parents took me there. So no, right. My, my answer is no. I did not ride the Jurassic. Oh, because I know they have updated it to Jurassic World now, and um, I've I've actually heard that it's a really good update. But I when we did the Jurassic Park ride, um. I've the, only done it once. It's pretty insanely yes. good. And the, it the is the scary. To, like reaching for you from yes. up above. Yeah, because you, you start out and you're like going along and it's just kind of like the movie where you're on like a, a boat ride and you're looking and you're seeing some cute dinosaurs and then it and then it basically emulates like, uh oh, the park has been like broken and dinosaurs are getting out. And yeah. you're seeing like some scary stuff and you're seeing, you know, like like remnants of something that maybe looks human or something like that. Like yeah. people oh. are getting eaten and then you go into this faculty or this facility and the lights are flashing and raptors are running all over the place and it's like really scary. And then before you do the drop, this T-Rex comes out of a waterfall. Ra- no, no, it just, no, it's from up above. It's it coming comes, out of the ceiling and it genuinely truly looks like it's going to eat. It's you. like the boulder in Indiana Jones. Yeah. It's about to, to fall on top of you. It's so, I I always duck no matter oh, what. Oh yeah, it's which also side tangent. 
if anyone goes into a ride like Indiana Jones and they don't play along with the ride, don't bother. <laughs> yeah, okay? you got to get in there and like participate mentally. Yeah, because that's half the fun. Like when those branches are coming toward you, of course you know you're not going to get hit by them, but you got to duck. When those darts are flying at you and it's just the air puffing, you got to react. Don't be too cool for Indiana Jones. Because no good one is PSA. cooler than Harrison Ford. <laughs> nice. Sorry, what, what I said, was that, I said Kyle? That was a good PSA. I really think that we needed to hear that. <laughs> um, I mean, you're in Disneyland. You're in the you're in the land of wonder. Yeah, or even yeah. or even the world of wonder. You know, the world of wonder. Yeah, at Disney Sorry, World, guys. Disney World. I have not had the luxury of going to Disney World yet. Oh, how do I even explain how great it is? <laughs> We will go someday. Maybe when the world opens back up, if it opens back up, we will go. Yes. Oh, true. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, uni- uh, Universal paid Crichton. So this is in addition to the one point five million. They paid Crichton half a million to adapt his novel, and two major scenes were ultimately removed from the book. Um, Steven Spielberg removed the opening sequence, which had a Prakam Sognathus attacking a young child because he found it too horrific. <laughs> and for budgetary reasons, they cut the T-Rex chasing Grant and the children down a river before being tranquilized by Muldoon. Um, both parts were included in film sequels. Uh, and yes, yeah, yeah. And then there were actual shots of a real hurricane because a hurricane hit while they were filming. Wow. Um, and the scheduled shoot of the galley... Gallimimus Chase was moved to Kalua Ranch on the island of Oahu due to a hurricane, oh. which we have been to. Yes. We've done the little tour where you can see the Jurassic Park and Jurassic World shooting locations. What? Yeah, pretty, pretty cool. Yeah, it's cool. Um, and then Malcolm being heroic in that scene where the where the T-Rex is chasing yeah. the or trying to get the kids, and he jumps out of the car yeah. with a flare. That was his idea. Jeff Goldblum's idea. Nice. Because I think originally the T-Rex just kind of like hurt him. Oh, okay. And he was like, Spielberg, don't you think maybe he should like try to save the kids? And he was like, yeah, that makes a lot more sense. Do that. Um, And then I know a lot of people know this, but it's still just so insane. So that, that animatronic of the T-Rex in the T-Rex scene in the rain is a real animatronic. Now there's a couple of portions where it's moving that is CG, but for the most part, that's all a real <laughs> life-size, like, 40-foot-tall T-Rex. Oh, my God. But they had to do all this rain, and it was not equipped to handle the rain, so it would not, like, shut down when it was supposed to and stuff like that. So or they, it would shake? It would shake, and so when they would cut, the T-Rex is still moving, and, like, its head is jittering. <laughs> <laughs> and it looks, if you look at the footage, it looks like the T-Rex is alive and real. <laughs> And that's the most terrifying thought. Yeah. <laughs> you just have to be like, Stan Winston, are you sure that you didn't like breathe life into this thing? And there's there's shots of them like hitting it with towels to try and dry it off. Yeah. <laughs> and like make it shut down. You know, one of my favorite details in that scene where the T-Rex is roaring at them through the car window is as an audio guy, I'm listening and they distorted they they let it they let the level of it distort the microphones distort the input signal um so that what you're oh. hearing is you're hearing it as you don't hear it in high definition you hear it and then it turns into like guitar distortion 
it's oh. like, Wah! and it's like in that, that, that really loud part, it distorts and it sounds as yeah. if it makes you feel as if your eardrums are being damaged by it, which is really cool. That's wow. a really good point. I, that's just something I felt, but I've never taken note of, yeah. but yeah, that's, that's awesome. Incredible. Um, speaking of sound, uh, in the scene where the water cup is sitting on the dashboard and they hear the stomping, Spielberg had been driving, getting ready to go to the studio one day, and he's just jamming out to Earth, Wind, and Fire. And he sees, like, the way his water was moving in the in the car and, like, the way his rearview mirror was shaking, and he's like, oh, that's got to be, that's got to be in the movie. So he tells one of the special effects guys, okay, how can we do that? And the guy spends the next, like, one month trying to figure out how to make those concentric circles and he can't figure it out. And so the day before the shoot, he just happens to grab a guitar and put a glass of water in it and strum it and it makes the the circles. Whoa. So then he shows up to set the next day with a bunch of guitar strings and they string them inside the car and there's someone underneath the car plucking the, <laughs> the guitar strings and it's making the the concentric circles on the water. Dear God. Very cool. <laughs> Some of those wow. things I'm like, that's almost more impressive than like the CGI that like, <laughs> it's just, that's a creative person. Yeah. <laughs> and finally, this is the first movie with digital sound. What does that mean? Like, like it's not on, it's not like connected to the, to the, I, I believe it's like not connected to the film and it's not, it, it what, so like the noises of the dinosaurs, all, all of it. It's it's the first movie that has digital sound instead of analog sound. Oh, okay. Right. Okay. Is that would that be a proper description, Kyle? You're the you're the sound guy. Well, I'm a sound guy in training, but I mean, is, if you say digital sound, then yeah, that makes me think that it's all recorded digitally and it's on like a you know some sort of digital format where it's ones and zeros instead of like mm. a, you know a hard maybe wax or tape or something. Right. And okay. I, I would imagine that would also, that also probably in some ways paves the way for like sa- surround sound and stuff like that. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, so, and then just one more little thing and then we can get into actors from you. It's just such a big movie to talk about. Um, uh, ILM, which is industrial light and magic, um, did the effects on this, and they started with Young Sherlock, which Steven Spielberg was um, pro- uh, he produced, and that's like one of the first CG characters ever made on film. And then that team goes on to do The Abyss with James Cameron, and so that pushes the technology a lot further. And then they go on to do Terminator Two with the T two thousand, I think. Yeah, um, what the guy is. Yeah, and oh, he okay. can like shape shift basically. Yeah. When I saw that as a kid, so scared. <laughs> I'm like, he can't die. Yeah, yeah. He's made of mercury. And then, so he does that, or they, they do that, and then they come back to Jurassic Park and push the technology even further. So it's kind of this um, nice, like, round circle where Spielberg, like, Cameron takes Spielberg's technology that he helped spearhead and pushes it way further, and then Spielberg, like, helps perfect the technology later. Cool. Nice. Kind of cool. That's what I got for production notes. You want to hit me with the actors? Yeah, Jordan? I'll blow through it. Okay. So we first have Sam Neill, who plays 
main character Alan guy. Grant. Yeah, Come on. I'm not going to remember anyone's names. I'm so bad at names. Um, okay, but Sam Neill is in Event Horizon, Hunt for the Wilder People, Jurassic Park 3, In the Mouth of Madness, The Jungle Book, the old live-action Jungle Book. 1994. He plays Merlin in the show Merlin, and he's in Peaky Blinders. He's in Peaky Blinders? I guess so. Why have I, we not watched that? It has, like, everyone we love. Because there's too many shows. It's um, true, and then we have <laughs> <laughs> um, Laura Dern, who plays Micah. What? Laura Dern plays who? Oh, um, oh my goodness. Ellie, Stra- Ellie Sattler. Ellie Sattler, yeah. Okay. She recently won an Oscar for Best Supporting Actress in Marriage Story. She also was in Little Women last year. Oh, so She's good. in Blue Velvet, October Sky, Jurassic Park 3, I Am Sam, The Master, 99 Homes. And that's just stuff i pulled she's so, in so much more let's a, little, a sidebar on laura dern and i'm just curious what kyle's gonna say to this um she has got it going on in this movie this is like what does that mean peak dern for me okay she's just every the, the whole package deal you mean like like cute she's looking great okay she's i mean she's always great in everything yeah. she's in but there it's like this is such an iconic look to me and yeah, like me too. And her performances and like everything about her i'm like man i think i have a crush on laura Dern, <laughs> at least in this movie interesting micah you, interesting indeed <laughs> you um, don't you don't agree with that kyle well, maybe i'm a little more seinfeld about about my my taste but there's one thing that that kind of annoyed me and that is that mm. whenever she screamed which was frequently uh, her mouth would take the shape of a peanut. Um, it's so true. <laughs> all right, we're talking, we're talking like very maybe an inch in the middle, and then like widens to two inches on either side of exposed of exposure. Um, <laughs> for some reason, every time I saw that, I was like, "Ah, oh, come on." Uh, I don't think that my <laughs> I don't think my sentiment is going to be very relatable to this audience. <laughs> But, and that's why it's a Seinfeld. Thing. Yes, and that's and that's uh, that's just where I am. That's just where I'm at. I get that peanut screamer. I guess if Seinfeld was around, she's a peanut screamer. She's a peanut screamer. <laughs> <laughs> All right, hit us with the next person. So I know we covered Jeff Goldblum. Well, I didn't know this until I was rem- reminded, but we covered him in Ragnarok. He deserves a, a, a second one. Um, Jeff Goldblum, who plays Malcolm, the chaos mathematician, <laughs> the one person I, whose name I remember, uh, he's in Annie Hall, The Fly, Independence Day, The Lost World, Cats and Dogs. Yeah, yeah, he's like the dad, right? Yeah, he's in Tim and Eric's b- billion dollar movie as Ch- <laughs> yeah. Chef Goldblum, and then he's also in Grand Budapest, Ragnarok, and <laughs> kind of currently The Mountain, or recently. Yes, yeah. And then Richard Attenborough, who plays the owner of the park, um, he is in the 1967 Dr. Doolittle. Wow. Yeah. Um, He's also uh, Santa in Miracle on 34th Street. Live action. Wow. Um, And then he's also in Lost World, and he is in a TV miniseries that I believe uh, gave me nightmares as a kid, which was Jack and the Beanstalk. Okay. Ooh, that does sound creepy. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I just remember some of the, there were these ginormous bugs that looked like bugs that would be in our house sometimes that scared me. Uh-huh. 
And um, I remember the characters like walking over them and like accidentally like smashing them. Some it was so I just in my memory it's disgusting and terrifying, and I didn't like it. He is also um in the Great Escape. Oh, thanks for catching that. And he's a pretty famous director. He or he was. Oh, okay. So he he did um he directed Robert Downey Jr. and Chaplin. Oh, cool. Which is one of his Oscar nominations. And then he he's done others, but among others, he directed Gandhi. Okay. Um, that is a famous movie with that, Ben Kingsley. Yeah, I've not seen. And yeah. Cool. <laughs> Next, we have Martin Ferrero, who plays the lawyer. He's in Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, Heat, and Airbud Three. Okay. I feel like he then, he was someone who, um, kind of like. He was just born for the role of a lawyer. Yeah. Like, there yeah, are certain yeah, guys yeah. who every single movie, they play a government stiff or, you know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Or, like, there's this one actor, I wish I knew his name. He just, like, whenever there's a movie about the Great Depression, this guy just looks at home in, like, suspenders and a pinstripe <laughs> suit. Um, yeah. He, yeah. I feel like Do you that, happen to know what movie he's in? Like, the, this guy I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, Road to Perdition. They're around the round table in the room, and there's just this kind of tallow-faced man who just looks... Uh, who, who? Who's the guy who played Buster Scruggs? Oh, oh. well, Tim Blake Nelson? Tim Blake yeah. Nelson is another one. He looks like he's meant for the Great <laughs> Depression. Um, okay. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, I just feel like that guy kind of looked in the mirror oh. one day and he was like, well, uh, you know, I think I have a, I think I have a casting type. I think you might be talking about Sirion Hines. Let me see a picture. Who is, um, the guy from there will be blood that we really love his, the guy who helps. Oh, Daniel he looks Plainview. like a bird kind of. Yeah. That's not nice, but I just, I think of a bird when I see him. This guy. Yep. He kind of looks like a bird. I think that's who you're talking about. Because when you said that, I was like, is it the guy from There Will Be Blood? Because he looks like he has to be in old movies. Like he's typecasted, but he's good at what he does. Oh, yeah. yeah. And I think I think for pe- for actors like that, you know, being typecast, I mean, your immediate impression is like, ah, that would kind of suck. But then, no, like all the people who are starving <laughs> on the streets of L.A., like trying to be actors, you're like, oh, man, I'll take it. Like, yeah, I'll right. be the butler Absolutely. in every movie. Yeah. Well, and some people, I think we've talked about this on the podcast before, but when I was younger, I used to think like if an actor isn't diverse, they're not a good actor. But if you're, it's kind of like a musician. Like if you're great, like, like, um, uh, what's his name? Dave Grohl. Like if he was like, guys, I'm going to do a reggae album next year. You'd be like, dude, just stick to rock. What are you talking about? Yeah, exactly. And so I don't know why we treat actors sometimes as like, oh, he's always in comedies. I don't like him. Yeah. And I used to do that all the time. I'd be like, oh, it's not Daniel Day-Lewis, so they're not that good of an actor. Yeah. I'm like, shut up, Micah. Yeah. Not fair. (laughs) Um, Okay. So Joseph Mazzello plays Timmy. Um, Yes. He's in Social Network. Uh, Simon Birch, yeah, and Bohemian Rhapsody, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what? Yeah, he's the bassist, right? The bassist. Yeah. If you go back, I don't know if you've seen the movie, Kyle, but if you look at a picture, it's like, how did I miss it? And I think during oh the movie, God, Micah him. turned to me and he was like, "I think that's the kid from Jurassic." No, Park. I said that is, and oh, you, you were like, "You're like, no, it's not." I was like, "There's no way." And then immediately when the credits roll, I'm like, "So that's the kid from Jurassic Park, okay?" <laughs> and it's like, "Oh yeah, that is. It looks exactly <laughs> like him." 
<laughs> he's the one who sits there when they're fighting and they're like, oh no, uh, I'm really upset because you're late to practice again, Freddie Mercury. And then he's like, can we just play some music? And then he goes, I wrote this line. Bum, bum, bum. And then Freddie Mercury and and Brian May are like arguing, and then Freddie's like, "It's actually a pretty good line." And then he immediately sings the song. Yep. And you're like, "That's not how songwriting works." Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, And then the girl Lex. Oh, I I don't know if that's. I think that's her name. Okay. Ariana Richards. She is in Tremors and Tremors Three, and (laughs) she does not have a pretty long acting career but i will read a thing about her that i found very interesting okay since filming jurassic park ariana completed a bs degree from skidmore college new york where she graduated with honors in drama and art she has since become one of the most celebrated young portrait artists of our time what (laughs) art has long been a tradition in her family her own genealogy can be traced back to the early italian renaissance when carlo crivelli a contemporary of botticelli what Ariana's ongoing work shows the classical influence of the old masters along with the dynamics of impressionist artists. Wow. That's the girl from Jurassic Park. <laughs> That's incredible. It's always so fascinating when someone like shows up like like they do they do this great performance and you expect them to just be an actor and then they just have like a completely different career and they're like maybe even more successful in that career. Right. Very cool. <laughs> Um, and then the, just the last person, Bob Peck, who plays the hunter. Oh, yeah. he I, He's in so much stuff, I don't know what it is. Um, but I saw that he's in uh, Lord of the Flies. Okay. Yeah. So, now, let's dive into this movie. We've already got a good 45 minutes going because this movie's too big to talk about. But let's get into the specifics. The movie begins, I think we're 120 miles off the coast of Costa Rica, on a place called... Isla Nublar, I think. Right? Isn't this Isla Nublar, Kyle? Uh, for the purposes of this discussion, yes, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> it might be that might be the name of the I feel next like it has island. A longer name. Yeah. Wait, what? What's going? Just like, describe it, please. Anyway, I don't even remember. So this is when they bring a Velociraptor in, and all of this. This movie is so insane to me. How much it reminds me of indiana jones Mm -hmm. like and i know it's the same director so it makes sense but all of this stuff like this scene kind of feels like the end of raiders of the lost ark when they're bringing the ark of the covenant like up to the altar and they're about to like perform the the ceremony Mm -hmm. um and it's like they're they're setting this creature in and it's just it's perfectly paced because you want to see that creature so badly. Oh, this scene. I don't I always forget this is the opening scene. Yeah. Yeah. You want to see the creature so badly and there's all these workers and they open it up and then the guy gets ripped into the cage. Yeah. And you don't see the velociraptor, but you see his eye. Yeah. And then it cuts to the eye of the hunter. Yeah. And then it cuts back to his eye. <laughs> and you're just like, "What are we in for?" Very scary. This is so cool it's the scene and it's the scene where he goes gatekeeper yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I love that guy's accent and like everything he does in the movie is so cool and i'll just say now that guy has some buff legs okay that guy <laughs> what walks the heck, or runs a lot 
I watched this with my girlfriend last night, and she was like, "Look at his thighs." I'm like, <laughs> they're just like they're so muscly. I've never seen legs like that before. He has got the hams. I'm gonna tell you what. Whatever. That guy has got the hams. I'm like I've got I've got a dog in this fight because I'm a biker, and she's sitting next <laughs> to me talking about this dude's thighs, and like you know he's in short shorts. What are you gonna do? <laughs> Well, and he, but he, Kyle, you got to admit, he has so much muscle on his thighs that it looks like he has a second knee. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> that, that quadricep has a bulge to it. It does. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess, but, I guess you're right, guys. <laughs> but this scene is just a perfect table setting. Then you cut to the lawyer and they're in the Dominican Republic and a lot of this stuff as a kid was way over my head. Like how, how like there's insurance people that are like trying to make sure that the investors will be happy. He's just but, a lawyer. He's not an insurance person. Oh yeah. Yeah. But there's like insurance claims happening sure. and all this, yeah. all this business, all the like capitalism yeah. stuff was totally over my head as a kid. But now when I watch it, I'm like, this movie is kind of like, I don't know if you guys would agree, but it feels like a very, like, this is what capitalism can do. Oh, well, movie. totally. When they're sitting around the table at lunch and the lawyer's the only one who's fine with everything, <laughs> when all of the scientists are like, do you understand how ridiculously unsafe this is? And the lawyer's like, yeah, but the money. Right. All of the merchandising. And yeah. it's like, that is uh, quite relatable. I, I, feel like, I feel like that, yeah, the first, and it really. It drives it home like it's kind of a uh, a miniature of modern capitalism and maybe even capitalist America. I don't know, but like there's some, you know, exciting but questionable science involved. There's like a <laughs> big money making idea, and then uh, you know, first thing they do in the movie is kill a black dude. So I feel yeah. like it's a it's a pretty a pretty fitting like miniature of our of our. Maybe our country. Yeah. The uh, <laughs> I did want to point that out. As soon as that first scene came on, I was like, it came back to me. I was like, oh god, they killed the yeah. black guy first thing, and then, right, you know, they're big enough to give us another black actor, Samuel L. Jackson, the great, mm-hmm. right. the inimitable, and they kill him too. <laughs> and I was like, yep. man, <laughs> yeah, the nineties, and uh, you know that. We didn't even know it was happening back then. <laughs> and then, yeah, just fulfilling that stereotype of the black people, the black person in any horror type movie dies first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That yeah, that is interesting. A lot of that stuff goes over my head, and I'm I'm realizing that more and more. And that's part of the problem is I'm not realizing those things, and I'm trying to be better at the that. It's I um, think the, go ahead. Oh, Lauren. go ahead, Kyle. Okay. Um, no, you, you got yeah, it. So I was gonna say the. It's funny because it's become such a trope. You know, it's like that old classic joke, oh, they always kill the black guy first. But then when you go back and you watch the movies, you're like, wow, like I didn't see that as a white kid growing up. It just didn't occur to me. Yeah. And, you know, I think it was is based in like it's it's a way to get sympathy from the audience, this kind of like um, fetishization or, you know, condescending sympathy. Um, yeah. But, yeah, it's, it's definitely there. And... Um, that that kind of jumped out at me but uh you know I, I also i'm not one to you know kind of comb through historical movies and and scorn them for things that they did you know that perhaps right you know they 
society had not quite evolved enough to to make it super well known so i i don't know it's i don't want to cast aspersions on jurassic park or spielberg because it's an absolutely fantastic movie but it has to be said that that yeah. is yeah no it's important what to bring happened. up <laughs> i think what first brought that to my attention was i think it was a community episode the yeah. zombie episode i think and troy's talking about like i don't want to be the the black guy that dies and he's <laughs> yeah. the one person that makes it out right but that's like they're <laughs> right. flipping the trope on its head in that episode and i i think that was the first time i was like wait what what is he talking about and then just thinking about it and it's like whoa that's what? well and i think in i think in scream 2 that's a big thing they bring up because remember the um the black couple goes to see the movie that scream yes. 1 is based off of yes and I I think that someone has a conversation at some point about how they're like inevitably going to die soon. Yeah, and I think probably because the the screen movies are about horror movies, right. so probably. Yeah, you know another kind of another '90s move that I was looking for in this movie that it really wasn't that cringy was uh the notorious '90s like punch you in the gut one liner that they loved yeah. doing back then. Like, oh, yeah. If you watch Independence Day, I remember these one-liners <laughs> that was like, and we were all like, woo! That was a great <laughs> one-liner. And you watch it now, and you're like, ugh. <laughs> and uh, this movie, there were a lot of one-liners, but it it wasn't, I don't know, the, only a few of them were cringy. I'm trying to think of the one last night that made me cringe. or something the lawyer said. Um, oh, yeah. <sighs> I... I, I think, remember. though, it's funny you brought that up because I actually noticed that and I was thinking about, like, I, I was trying to think of a comparison today because it feels like, and if if listeners listen to our podcast, they know that Jordan and I are big Marvel fans. We do really love the series as a whole. There's problems, but we do like that series a lot. And we do like a lot of modern franchise blockbusters. Why else would we start this podcast? But um, I think some of the key, like... When you look at Star Wars and Indiana Jones and um, maybe not Indiana Jones, but Star Wars and Jurassic Park, I think the brilliance that Lucas and Spielberg do is they kind of choose one character, Han Solo or Ian Malcolm, that is like he is above the material of like the cheesiness of what's happening and he's commenting on it. Yeah. And I think that provides... That's fascinating because those two characters are womanizers. That's another interesting. Oh yeah, thing Wait, that's true. Who's Ian Malcolm? Uh, Jeff, uh, Jeff Goldblum. Goldblum. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. True, true, true. Because he's kind of like above what is happening. Yeah, and he he's commenting and he is doing one liners, but he's like he he's almost like outside of the movie, like a critic of the movie, being like, "This is why this isn't good." Well, it's like, same yeah, with Han things, Solo. When things were happening in this movie, more in the beginning stuff, Malcolm was like, "Oh, yep." course that's going to happen because of chaos theory yeah like yeah just commentate commentating on everything he's kind of the uh the sanity character um yeah yes you know a lot of movies you need a sanity character to let the audience so they don't feel too uh disoriented um right you know i loved jeff goldblum i'm very charmed by jeff goldblum i always have oh i think everyone is you know and there is just that scene when he's got her hand in the car and he's like putting a (laughs) drop of water on it and you're like, he's just so he. You can't help but like grin and blush because he's so. <laughs> I just don't know how Laura Dern 
in that scene, she didn't feel like he was hitting on her, even though they're in character and acting. <laughs> yeah. Like he was so flirtatious and like the way he kind of like smiles at her. And then there's one point where he reaches over and kind of touches her hair. And yeah. oh my God, I'm getting, whew, getting hot and bothered by it right now. <laughs> I mean, it was just so, it was so much. It was so good. So for, so for you, it was Jeff Goldblum. For me, it was Laura Dern. Same me, feeling. Yeah, say, but... You know, it's the yin and the yang. Yeah, I, I was I was a Goldblum man myself. Um, <laughs> I just thought it was crazy later on in the movie when he his leg is busted and he's laying there in the control room just bare chested, yeah. and it's like, oh my gosh, <laughs> yeah. what an image! <laughs> There's a statue of that. I think there in, is. I think in London or why something like London. That. Um, I'm not sure. Why I'd have to not? look it up. I don't remember for sure, but um, when he was on Hot Ones, they talked about it, and pe- the, there's a big statue that's like, I mean, you know, it's like 20 feet tall, that like makes of him no lying sense. there. And he's like, <laughs> for, you know, it's funny because in that scene, he's lying there in a position that no injured person would lie in, <laughs> right? Like, right. Propped up on it's like he's on still a cool hip, on a metal table, on, laying on his hip bone <laughs> with an elbow down. His shirt open, a light, just a light sheen of sweat across yep. his chest. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, it's it's funny. You look at Jeff Goldblum and you don't immediately think sex, but then he like <laughs> he exudes it. <laughs> he exudes it. It's like the air he breathes. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, any any listener that is wants to go further in Jeff Goldblum, go to um <laughs> phrasing uh. <laughs> uh conan o'brien yeah. needs a friend podcast and toward the beginning of him starting that podcast he interviews jeff goldblum and it is one of the most charged conversations i've ever listened to and i was like crying laughing so hard yeah it's so crazy <laughs> what do you mean they're like charged? at each other i mean sexually charged oh wow okay What's it's it called? it's very funny um conan needs a friend yeah yes <laughs> you're downloading it now <laughs> yeah if you hear me typing sorry <laughs> um okay so then we are introduced to our um a couple of our main characters El- El- ellie El- right yeah ellie and um alan, alan grant and they're um there's that great scene where he's describing that um dinosaurs came from birds and and the the kid's like they don't look the kid that who scary was to me. Purely because he has the biggest eyes I've ever <laughs> yeah. seen on a kid. And when he pulls out the claw, those eyes get huge. Yeah. And so there's all that stuff. And then um, John Hammond comes and he's digging through their fridge like a Yoda character in Empire Looking Strikes Back. Looking for the Back. champagne. Mm-hmm. And um, he's like, I made this island. Come check it out. I'll fund you your research for the next three years if you come. Yeah. And Laura and Dern has that, that great, he... like, well, um,. Yeah. <laughs> like the way she accepts it, I just love that. And I guess he was already funding their research. Yes. Yeah. Which I never really paid attention to, but And then they get to the island and you meet the grandkids, so the stakes are upping. Well, let's just a tiny little detail that they thought to add. Well, I guess probably Steven Spielberg thought to add was when the helicopter's going down and it's a really bumpy ride and everyone's putting on seatbelts, but Sam Neill can't figure it out. Uh, was I I said when we were watching it, uh, show because he he just ties the seatbelts instead, and it's yeah. like I thought, oh, he's able like this pr- shows that he's adaptable. Yes, he's a creative problem solver. And then Micah said it also also shows that he's completely out of his element. Yeah, from here on in the movie, 
Alan Grant is never in a comfortable position. Yeah. Yeah, but um, also like I was I was confused by that a because he doesn't know how to operate a seatbelt. Like okay, I know. it's a <laughs> But then two, he ties it guys not in a square knot or in, he 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 does the <laughs> one knot where you you pull it apart and it comes apart. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So I was just And thinking, he takes Lord like half of Laura Dern's seatbelt. Right. So sucks for her. Yeah, I but, thought that was a triple strike against him personally. <laughs> I think too this this scene does illustrate like it shows like technology versus nature. They're in a helicopter and things are not quite maybe as good as they should be. Yeah. Things are not you know, and I'm kind of freaked out by helicopters. And so any watching any scene like this I'm like oof. Oh, like I don't ever want to go into a helicopter. Um but what? yeah, so cuz the whole movie has this nature versus technology/science. Yeah. And it, it it's so apparent like from right then. Yeah. Um and then they do a brilliant thing. Yes. Where um they sit in the attraction and Mr. DNA comes on screen and explains how they make the dinosaurs. And it's just a brilliant way to get all of that exposition out of the way, but doing it in a way that also do- it doesn't bog down the movie at all. It mm-hmm. actually enhances the movie quite a bit. Mhm. And he says, dinosaur, which I like that. <laughs> yeah. And you know, the scene right before that is when they see the dinosaurs for the first time. Oh, I, for- I forgot that they see that first. And the big swell of the theme song. <laughs> yes. The, this I, this got, is like. Yeah. That scene, go, go ahead, I Kyle. Teared, I teared up during that scene. Last <laughs> yeah. Night. Like, yeah. It's so great. Um, but then, Micah, you're, you're so right that the, uh, the Mr. DNA is such a great way to get that that scientific setup out of the way. Um, right. And then immediately after when the dinosaur is hatching is when they all start questioning it. Um, yeah. Yeah. Totally. Know, first with Jeff Goldblum saying, how can you be sure that they're not going to start breeding somehow? Um, oh yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really great. And, and one thing that you said earlier that I think bears repeating throughout this is that, and if you're an aspiring movie maker listening to this podcast, um, human characters are human story always has to be at the front of your movie. If you want it to be an enduring piece of art, you know, yes. Like you can't make something that's like fantastic special effects without really developing the characters or having one dimensional characters. It just Mm -hmm. is so bland. Maybe, maybe I'm, Maybe you all disagree, but I, I don't know. I just, I find if there's good acting and the character has a lot of levels, oh man, that's just like, that. that's oh, no, so I, interesting. I agree. I think I, you're totally right. I mean, I think I, it made me think of this series and we might change our minds when we get to Jurassic World, but Owen Grady played by Chris Pratt and Claire Danes, I think her name, no, no, that's an actress name. Yeah. Whatever um, Bryce, Dallas, Bryce Howard. Dallas Howard's character's names are. You can like sum up their characteristics in one sentence. Well, here's another thing too. And I I'm not of. intrigued by them at all in those movies. No, exactly. and I think in this movie there is no love interest. No, which is very that is just so common. It would like oh. it's it would be so much more common to see Alan and Ellie like maybe they're foils of each other and they're the ones who are stuck together in the jungle and they fall yeah. in love. And it's like no, it's not about like they're already together. I don't even have to like be annoyed by that because i usually am by yeah. the sexual tension but what well, instead there, is sorry. it's him uh bonding with children 
when previously it's established that he doesn't like children. Yes. And and they could have even done like a really obvious thing, which would have been like Alan and Ellie are like going through a tough time. And by the end of the experience, they realize that they do love each other. Yeah. But that's never the the thing. It's no. just Alan growing with the children. Yeah. yeah. It didn't um, it didn't need that. Um there's just so, there was so, there's a lot of you know, you can sit here and I, just seeing it last night, I can think of every character and I know that what that character's opinion was of the other character. You yeah. Know? Yes. Um and that that's really great. And and it wasn't like they didn't add kind of this cheap uh, character complexity by oh he's a great guy but he's got a drinking problem or something yeah you know it was <laughs> right. like it's it kind of a lot of subtle little shades of of um yeah of personality that were mm-hmm. that were displayed through showing not telling it was great yes yes yeah. and and i think one of the one of the beautiful things this made me think of it what you said kyle is that like a lot of the conversations in this movie are just furthering the plot and the philosophical nature of what they are dealing with. Mm-hmm. But in addition to that, they are also simultaneously telling us about the characters. Mm-hmm. So like yeah. everything Jeff Goldblum is saying is like out of a philosophical book, but yeah. at every time you get so much out of who this character is every single time he, t- he speaks. Well, it's interesting too, is his characters. He seems very just like go with the flow. Which is interesting because he is he believes in ca- the chaos theory. So yeah, it's just yeah. like whatever will happen will happen. Yeah, and I'm just gonna sit back and enjoy the ride. Exactly. Yep. It it's kind of like a lot of those conversations about love in Interstellar. Yeah. Where it, like it tells us so much about like Anne Hathaway and Matthew McConaughey, but they're also simultaneously like pushing the plot of the movie further along. Yeah. So you're never bored. Or like bogged down by these conversations. Yeah. Love yeah. it. Um, so when they first see the dinosaurs, I just want to comment on Steven Spielberg is the master of blocking shots. He just knows how to set up a camera. And when they pull up the angles he is choosing and the way he is the the Spielberg reaction shot before you see the dinosaurs, you are seeing these people who have spent their lives studying dinosaurs see and experience the dinosaur and it primes you. So right when you see the dinosaur, you are in such wonder and awe because you are sympathizing with the characters, Mm -hmm. even beyond the fact that you're just seeing a dinosaur. Yeah. Because so many movies, they show you something cool, but they don't show what everyone else is experiencing when they see that something is cool. They don't spend that time. So you're just kind of like, okay, I get it. Yeah. Yeah, and true. and you don't have that visceral reaction to it, and when when Laura Dern is looking at the leaf and she's just so uh, <laughs> she's just so dumbfounded that this leaf that was extinct like a billion years ago is living, yeah, and then he grabs her head and turns it, yeah, <laughs> that's like the, one of the most iconic <laughs> like shots in the movie for me. <laughs> Love it. Yeah, there, um, there were um, I think throughout this movie there were several shots that I think forever became imprinted in movie history one of course is the the glass with water shaking mm-hmm. the other i did feel my like him turning her head is one that mm-hmm. like you know i'll remember when i'm senile uh <laughs> right yeah it, it's uh it, he he is a master of that isn't he just creating these moments that um it's not it's nothing huge but it's just it sticks with you 
Absolutely. And I think it's it's shots like that that's like, this is why I'm sitting in a theater watching it. Yeah. Oh, like, absolutely. This is a movie. When, when I saw the re-release, even though it was in 3D, although the 3D transfer was actually pretty good, um, it, it was just like, it was almost like I saw the movie for the first time. Yeah, but I, I just knew all the plot points because, I mean, that T-Rex scene was horrifying. Yeah, and And then seeing the wonder and seeing those bronchiosauruses, like on a screen that makes them look huge was just, I was in such awe of yeah. the movie. It was so cool. And we sat pretty close too. Oh, so cool. everything looked bigger. Uh-huh. Um, saw it with Sean. Nice. Um, his favorite movie. Mm. Uh, so then they're going through the tour, nothing showing up. And then let can, can we just kind of skip through like the guy who plays Newman and Seinfeld is working with, another company trying to gather embryos he's getting yeah paid a ton of money to steal stuff for them and um maybe i'm hoping kyle you understand this but i think i don't really experience asmr um but i think i found out what my equivalent of asmr is what is it i think it's um the barbasol (laughs) can and how it works and when he's putting the little vials in there and then when Laura Dern is pushing the buttons, the big buttons, <laughs> you know, everything that's, that's about so that funny. is like, I could watch it on repeat over and over. I remember when I was a kid after seeing the movie, finally, yes, I was always yes. into creating little gadgets and I tried to create something like that Barbasol can. Like it's, it's a little can, <laughs> it's this little blocky object with bright colors, but then inside is this complex little science thing, <laughs> you know? <laughs> And I loved that. And I remember trying to invent something like that. I didn't succeed, but yeah, that inspired me too. I just, I just like the way the, 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 the buttons have those covers over them and she pulls them and presses the button, changes colors. And they look like really good. Like you got to put a little effort into those pushes. Yeah. And then, and then the way those vials, he like pulls up the, the cryogenic frozen embryos. And when he does it, like all the steam comes out and he grabs them and sets them in and then locks them in the Barbasol can. I'm like, oh man, I wish I had been cast as him just so that I could do that. <laughs> and then like the look wow. on his face, he's kind of sweating like a brick of cheddar. <laughs> yep. <laughs> he is in a lot of ways the glue of this movie. <laughs> yeah. He's so good. He's hilarious. I know. And he's so good. And then... I mean, Samuel Jackson has one of my favorite lines he's ever uttered, which is, hold on to your butts. Yeah. <laughs> Iconic. I like that he's constantly smoking a cigarette, but not only that, it's con- it's always dangling out of his mouth. Oh, yeah. yeah and the ash needs to be, the ash yes. needs to be trimmed off. Let's get to the T-Rex scene. Um, who wants to start? <laughs> There's so much in the T-Rex. You know what? Let me take this one. Okay, <laughs> please. Um, obviously... There is the tension buildup, and if you want to make your monster scary, you want your monster to be seen. You don't want your monster to be seen early. You want to keep it a secret as long as possible, because what we don't know is scarier than what we do know. Um, Yeah. There's one exception, and that is this T-Rex. This thing (laughs) is terrifying before we can see it, and it is scarier once it's there. Um, absolutely you know just like the way they got that flappy scrotal skin on its neck like (laughs) the teeth out over the edges of its lower jaw 
Um, it's dilated eyes, like you point out earlier. Um, uh, and just the size of it. I don't know if they exaggerated the size of a T-Rex or not, but the whole time I'm just thinking like, wow, that thing walked the earth. And that's the, that's what you want your audience to experience. <laughs> yeah, when you're, when that's you're why going it's scary to me because I know it was real. Right. Yeah. And and I think another another thing that really makes the scene horrifying is he's attacking the children. Yeah. Or she is attacking the children because they're all female. Um, although later they are able to change that because of the amphibious uh, chromosomes that were filled in, which is an amazingly cool detail that's yeah. shocking <laughs> when you find it out. And you're like, no, there's dinosaur eggs. This is not good. Um, <laughs> but the scene, like in that scene, Ian and alan grant are just sitting like us the audience and they're like oh no and they're not sure what to do Mm -hmm. and as an audience member it's like this audience surrogate where you're like um it it just provides even more tension than there already is yeah yeah i imagine in watching the special features that like they tried really hard to make it all as accurate as possible yeah so i assume that there is studies or whatever like probably papers that they believe that it was that big yeah, it makes, I mean, I've seen a T-Rex, um, I think in Portland there's um, a real-life T-Rex. Uh, oh. No. <laughs> um, like, a, they have um, a full a, a full skeleton. Really? Of one. Um, I think it's in Portland. It might be in Canada. I can't remember what family trip it was. But we, we saw one, and it was that big. It might have been a little bigger, maybe wow. a little smaller. I mean, yeah. they're huge. Well, I've seen the skeleton recreations before, too, and they're absolutely massive. But then, you know, I've never seen it next to a a Jeep Grand Cherokee. True. So I couldn't really tell. Right. right. But, you know, it, I wouldn't fault Spielberg for that at all because it was no. so effective. And then, you know, when when Grant and Lex are, uh, are ducking behind the Jeep and it's pushing it around with its nose and they're kind yes. of trying to outrun it, um, at that point, the monster's already been in the scene for like... I don't know, four minutes, five minutes. Yeah. And yet you're, it's still as terrifying as the moment it came onto the scene. Um, oh yeah. And, and I'm not enough of a film scholar to know exactly why that is, but my God, it was, it was so well done. Yeah. Well, and, and one of the amazing details that I, I noticed last night is when he gets out of the, the paddock and he the he flips over the jeep and then he just starts like an animal would he's just like biting at the car he doesn't really know what it is and he's trying to see like what the heck it is Mm -hmm. and i just thought that's such a um like chaotic touch to add where he's not just like humans eat he's like what the heck is this thing like Like, it moves i eat it yeah he's a wild animal or she's a wild animal yeah um it's all of that is just so insane and um, also another fun thing is the end of the movie, um, they had not planned to have the T-Rex come into the visitor center, but Spielberg said after they had filmed the sequence that had the the T-Rex sequence, he was like, the audience will hate me if the T-Rex doesn't come at the end. Yeah. And, you know, they, need, they needed a way to save them from the raptors. And yeah. it was yeah. cool that the T-Rex became the protagonist. Right. Yeah. Right. And um, so all of that happens. Everybody gets split up. Um, 
And, you know, there's the button pushing, the velociraptors get out. Yes. And there's that sequence where they attack the hunter, and he says, clever girl. Well, I like, too, before that, the, I think it's... Clever girl. Alan says this, that, or it could be the hunter. I don't remember. But the hunter the, does. Okay, he says they hunt... Uh, well, one, they they actually look at you. It's not like a T-Rex where they just... Anything that moves, but they actually look at you and perceive you and, yeah. like are trying to figure out the best way to kill you. Yeah. And then also because they hunt in a pack, it's like in a way they want you to see one of them so that the other ones can come to your sides. That was actually Alan. That was, was that like at the beginning? That's when he's talking to the kid. Yeah. Yeah. It's just so great that they visually showed it. Yeah. And this movie does that. Like the whole movie, there's all this stuff like, like at the beginning, they're like, how fast do these dinosaurs run? And they go, we clocked the T-Rex in at 32 miles per hour. And then later in the movie, they're driving away and you're, you're like, oh, if they can just get over 32, they're yeah. going to be okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, the movie just <laughs> plants all this stuff and pays all of it off. Yeah. Um, so there's that sequence, Sam Jackson's arm when he dies. Yeah. Uh, I believe, I, I thought I'd heard that um, there was a sequence where he was actually killed, but they cut it. Oh, okay. But I'm not positive about that. That, that that scene though when she's um pushing the buttons and then the the velociraptor came out of the wiring i it was like one of the jordan forgot that i that forgot happens. that happened and it scared me so bad <laughs> she she went that's not fair <laughs> <laughs> yeah and then that whole time i love when when they all get back together i'm skipping some stuff that we can go back to but when they all get back together and She's like, yeah, I contained one unless they can open doors. And then it oh, cuts to the velociraptor opening the door. And you're like, no, no. Yeah. So but good. um, and did you notice how this like, you know how movies sometimes they'll try to milk out like three climaxes where it's like, oh, they think it's over. But then this comes. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, maybe sometimes you get a little tired, but you're like, oh, OK, just please let it be over. Absolutely. Um, and this isn't this is a movie where you really it just it keeps ramping up and you don't know how much higher it can go and then it takes another <laughs> yeah. level. Um Yeah. I don't want to skip ahead. I don't know how, how chronologically uh stringent you are with your podcast, well, but like yeah. Do, do, say what you want to say and we'll we'll cut back to Alan Grant and the kids, I think. Yeah. So, so you know, you take you take the series of action. The real, the first real action is the T Rex scene, right? And then there's right. another. There are more things involving the T Rex, and you've got Raptor Town. And then um, I think for me, the pinnacle of oh god, this is too much to to bear is the kids in the kitchen. Um, oh my goodness! Yes, you know that's like straight up, straight up horror. Um, and yeah, I, I just, I really, I would love to like learn more about how did he, how did he make you not have like horror fatigue by that point? I feel like, I wonder if part of it's because, so it's like, okay, they're dinosaurs. We know they existed at one mm. point. And then, you know, the whole philosophical thing of we brought them back. Should that have happened? Like what Jeff Goldblum was saying was that um, basically nature did not decide to let dinosaurs continue. Yeah. But man did. Yeah. And it's like, I think it's horrifying, but also you can't look away because you want to see how the dinosaurs adapt to a human environment. Yeah. I think that's why I don't get tired of it. Oh, well, that's and a great observation. I think like we have the horror sequence with the T-Rex. Then 
we have then we have like a gentle moment where Alan Grant is like getting close to the kids and mm-hmm. the bronchiosauruses are not uh, dangerous. Right. And they look awesome. And right. that, that one that sneezes on her is very gross, but it's cute. So funny. Um, and then you have like the Gallimimus um, running mm-hmm. and that's interesting, but it's not it's not scary. We still haven't been scared yet. T-Rex comes out. You're still not really scared. And the whole movie you have not really seen the velociraptors and even when they attack the hunter you're not you're not really seeing them yet so i think part of it is he's he you think that the huge thing is the t-rex and of course that scene is and it is probably the best scene in the movie but he still saved an entire new creature that we haven't really seen yet for that sequence in the kitchen yeah yeah so for me i'm not fatigued cuz i'm like oh Oh yeah, I forgot about these. By this time in the movie, they've attacked the hunter. Uh oh, they've conquered like the guy who's supposed to know everything about him, and now they have to fight these little kids. Like you're just completely, you're completely out of your element at this point. Yeah, and I think I always thought of the T Rex as the most terrifying dinosaur. Yeah, but then, especially in watching this movie, it's like no, there's a like there's a reason why they saved the Velociraptors. Yeah, because <laughs> they're yeah. much more like nimble and like like adaptable you know another thing another thing that makes this movie scary is how a lot of movies when they have kid characters they have to like make the kid into some type of big hero and Mm -hmm. um, Uh you know the kids were certainly showed some courage in this movie and showed some growth but they were also just kids like when they're in the kitchen they're scared the whole time. There's no moment where Timmy like bravely decides to sacrifice himself for his sister or whatever. Um, and that's just more <laughs> right. believable. It was more stomachable, more palatable. Um, I loved, I loved that the director and writer and whatever, they beat the crap out of little Timmy. Like I know, he, he poor just little gets Timmy, wrecked time after time. And there is he gets electrocuted. <laughs> he gets electrocuted. He gets his leg hurt. Like. Um. Ah, oh, I I just thought that was hilarious. Poor little. I Timmy. wonder, like an interesting thing. That's interesting because it's like, yeah, the the kid, none of the kids have like a big heroic moment thing, mm-hmm. which is we see often. And I I just feel like all of the things that the humans do too show how they're adapting to survival or to survive. Yeah. So it's like him tapping the, or was it him or her tapping the soup ladle? And uh, that's her. Yeah. So it's like she's tapping the soup ladle, which distracts the Velociraptors, which saves Timmy's life. And that's like a really, you know, in a a very courageous thing that she did. But it was also an act of survival. Yes. That she did as well. Crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and and um, the the most heroic moment uh, for her is when the computer slowly zooming into the files. And she's just like trying to reboot the park, which I is love like, that. I, I, I didn't notice until you laughed that it's like kind of cheesy looking now. Cause yeah. it, it's just like, you know, anything computer looking is, gets outdated, like pretty much the moment that they film it. Totally. <laughs> and it's like a 3d representation. Like you would have to soar over this 3d yeah. representation <laughs> yeah. of buildings. <laughs> and it is fun. that's like the one thing in the like, like maybe that would be my only critique of the movie because like earlier there's like one scene where she mentioned something about computers and then another scene where timmy's like yeah you're a computer nerd and she's like i prefer hacker and you're like okay yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it doesn't bother me at all i don't care i it's like it's a means to an end yeah and then they're at the visitor center 
They get attacked by the Velociraptors, and finally T-Rex comes in. The banner comes down and says, when dinosaurs ruled the Earth. Yep. That was great. Nice touch. And they get out of there, and they've learned their lesson. They've learned that... Uh, they should have stopped, even though they could, and asked if they should. And I like that the movie ends pretty quickly. I know. It it's nice. I kind of miss when movies would just be like, that's the end of the story. Because there wasn't <laughs> because there wasn't just so much baggage that like it's like, yes, it is a movie about like humans versus dinosaurs in a way. You know, like we brought them back, now we have to survive against them. Like yeah. that's the biggest baggage. It's not like like we were talking about like no one came here with like, man, I like I think Kyle meant, like gave an example of like Oh, I have a really big drinking problem. And by the end right. of it, it's like three years later and he's sober. You know, mm-hmm. it's yeah. like not this heavy things because it's about the dinosaurs. Yeah, it is. And and I wanted to point out that scene where the T-Rex has just killed the raptors and the banner falls down. Yeah. that's That borders on, okay. But by that point in the movie, I challenge you to find any audience member who doesn't think, Spielberg earned that moment. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Earned that big kind of comical gesture at the end. You're just like, want to stand up and clap because it was so... Yeah. You've been (laughs) through hell to get there. Yeah. Totally. And, um, and I mean, it does make sense. Like, you know what I mean? You know what I mean? It's not like an out of nowhere, like throwaway joke, but I, I totally get what you're saying, Kyle. But it's also like, Story-wise, you could argue that it's not like outlandish that it's that no, it no, appears. No, it's there. not. It's just like the banner falling down in perfect, where the you know right. the audience can read it, and you, it's it does feel a little bit '90s one-liner, but but mm-hmm. obvious. It, it didn't bother me in the slightest, and I'm very sensitive to that stuff because it's just it's so good. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Um, but then they, I, what I I love that they end the movie with them all in the helicopter, and then he's looking at birds, which yeah. he's been talking about how birds came from dinosaurs the whole movie. And so it's like he's just seeing, like, modern dinosaurs. Yeah, and he's, like, enchanted by them still. Yeah. Even though he just fought for his life. Yeah. Yep. That's the movie. <laughs> <laughs> I love it so much. It It, it is just, it always makes me feel like a kid. And it just, it's just great that the movie was able to accomplish all of this philosophical stuff great performances by the actors great special effects and also it's just like it's like the dream of every kid to see a dinosaur and this movie like truly realizes that dream and also one thing visually that i really enjoyed um is the set you know you can tell when they're in a movie studio just because Mm -hmm. you know it's they couldn't help it is if you make a movie in the 90s and you're in a studio Sooner or later, people are going to be able to recognize that as like a 90s studio. But it was very mm-hmm. E.T., like lots of the ferns and the big gnarly trees with like the twisting vines and the branches. And there's yeah. like backlighting with fog. Um, yeah. For me, that was very nostalgic. It did make me feel like like I was watching E.T. as very Spielberg. Yeah. Yeah. I loved I loved those those kind of uh, those really atmospheric jungly sets. Well, and, and, and also, I mean, Steven Spielberg is also the master of lighting a scene. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, yeah. that scene where they're looking at the bronchiosauruses, it's just so beautifully lit. Yeah. Yeah, it was. It's the best. Any any final thoughts for you, Kyle? Ah, uh, man. I think I've I've 
expressed most of what I have to say. I think Jurassic Park is, you know, 100 years from now when they're studying early film, I think Jurassic Park will be in there. Um, oh, yeah. It was, and you know, it was kind of Jurassic Park. I remember that from the 90s. There's The Matrix, which was another big game changer as far as action goes. And yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's great. And I do believe, I do firmly believe that the sequels sucked. <laughs> so I want to hear what you guys have to say about that on the next episodes. Maybe, I'll, maybe I'm wrong and I'm missing something. But compared to this, man, this set a tone, and I just felt like that tone was, this is elegant, this is respectable, and this is thoughtful. Um, and that that's yeah. what I loved so much about this movie, and that's what's made it so enduring. Yeah, I think we, we really try on this podcast every time, even if we don't like a movie or, or we've heard that it's bad or whatever, we try to give it its due. So I'm going to try and kind of like delete my thoughts about the rest of the Jurassic World movies and try and take them with fresh eyes. Yep. Um, but I mean, the thing we were, we were talking about last night is that the problem with the sequels is they, they never say anything different than the first movie says. It's yeah. always like, ah, we shouldn't have done this. And then the next movie's like, we really shouldn't have done this. And then they just keep <laughs> saying that. And so they're they're kind of fun because they're you see dinosaurs, but they this movie doesn't get into schlocky territory, and I think the rest of them do. Yeah, it's true. But but maybe I don't know. I'm kind of hoping that we'll, we'll maybe we'll be able to crack the code and be like, actually, this movie's these are good movies because of this reason that we have not seen until now. But I'm doubtful. I've only seen Jurassic World other than this one, so I will be kind of going into it with fresh eyes. Yeah, you will. You know, but I mean, it's also really fun to talk about why a movie sucked so much. So yep, if it right. sucked, you know, don't hold back, guys. <laughs> That's some of our best episodes when we <laughs> yeah. hate a movie. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, the the thing is, though, the next movie is directed by Steven Spielberg. And even when he makes a bad movie, it's still really watchable. <laughs> yeah. That's that's the thing with Spielberg is like most of his bad movies are most people's really good movies. And Although he does have two movies Goldblum. that are kind of unwatchable. But uh, yes. Yeah. We got the bloom, man. Yeah. Um, do, do you have a favorite of the sequels or one that you think is better than the rest by any chance? Um, I don't know. I, I, I remember The Lost World. I don't really even remember Jurassic Park 3 and I remember Jurassic World. Um, so I, I would say maybe Lost World, but it's still, nah. It's hard to, <laughs> okay. hard to choose between them for me. All right. Yep. Well... Do you have anything to plug, Kyle? If you're listening, I am an incredible musician. And <laughs> boy, do I have That's some true. music for you. Um, no, I, I'm, a, I'm a musician of, of a, I would say, moderate talent. And, no, come on. And, no, you were right the first time. No, moderate's really good, though, right? Like, <laughs> oh, okay. For the average Joe. Um, I think a moderate musician is really good. Just like for me, a moderate, a moderately talented filmmaker is, is amazing. Um, and I'm that guy <laughs> and I write music under the moniker glorious leader as previously mentioned. And it's all kind of, um, a lot of it is about my life here in Northern Vermont, 
which is a very kind of unique place in the U.S. It's extremely cold and cozy. So, yeah, check out Glorious Leader. You got the the My Kingdom EP, right? My Kingdom, and I, I've just recorded the second one. And uh, Ooh. Yeah, so got some got some good stuff out there, I think. Yeah, please, cool. please check it out, folks. And uh, thank you for listening. Um, I believe we're in the month of July now for, for when this comes out. And um, on our Patreon, you can listen to us this month talk about Finding Dory. So uh, make sure and sign up for that. And um, I'm sure there's a bunch of music stuff that's out now from me, but I'm not sure because we're recording early and... Yeah, I've had to move some stuff around, which I'm okay with. But, uh, it, yeah, anyway, I don't know. What about you, Joj? No. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I have anything right now. All right, well, thank you for listening, and uh, we'll see you next week when we discuss Jurassic Park, The Lost World, and we will be joined by another guest. Uh, very excited about next week's guest as well. So thanks for joining in, Kyle. Thank you all. This was so fun. I'm so glad. Loved it. (laughs) All right. Bye, folks. Bye. Bye. Uh, Jeff Goldblum, (laughs) he always liked speed reading his lines out loud between scenes. What I wonder what his I would love to um see just like like be on set with Jeff Goldblum for like a day and just see how that goes down. Well, if you notice that Jeff Goldblum always plays Jeff Goldblum, I mean, he's like mm-hmm. I just think it would be I think he's just that character all the time, which mm-hmm. I there are certain actors that I always want them to play themselves because it's just everyone loves it. Owen Wilson is mm-hmm. one. Um, Jeff oh Gold- yeah, Jeff Goldblum is another. Where you just you're there for the Jeff Goldblum. Yeah, I, have you seen Thor Ragnarok? No. So it's we actually are not a big fan of the movie, um, of of the Marvels. It's definitely not my favorite, but it, it's an enjoyable movie. But he is in it, and he is so unbelievable. It's like it's it's well, just like him and Eric insane. directed his scenes. Yeah, it does feel like they directed his scenes. It's crazy. Um, anyway, but uh, I'll probably take cut that and put that at the end of the episode <laughs> as a little like treat if people stick around.